decomposition is happening. Jesus says, open it. She says, well, I know, Lord, that one day he will be resurrected. Jesus said, you don't understand. I am the resurrection. Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. Instantly, worms go. Sinews start to come back together. Flesh comes back together. Breath breathes back into his lung. He comes out. Jesus says, this is power. This is the power that Paul is talking about. This is resurrection power, life-giving power, life-altering power. Christian, do you feel that power? know that that power resides in you have you forgotten who saved you hello my friends and welcome back to the life church canton podcast my name is sam i'm the host for the show thanks so much for listening this week is the last week of our series called christian privilege daniel's bringing our series to a close um, if you haven't been able to catch up on this series. What this series is about is basically we're walking through Philippians um, and and talking about the privileges that were that were granted as followers of Christ, as uh, name bearers of who Christ is. So Daniel's talking about that in this message. Um, something that I wanted to let you know about is that next weekend is New Life Weekend here at Life Church Canton. And if you haven't been to one of those, I highly encourage you to come out. They're one of the most powerful services that we do all year, in my opinion. Um, there's a lot of people that are getting baptized. That's what new life means. Um, so I encourage you to come out. We've got services on Saturday, 4 p.m. and 5.30, and on Sunday as well, 9.30 and 11. So make sure you're there um, and support those being baptized. Here's Daniel with the message. Morning, Life Church. How you doing? It's, oh, I love that. Nice. And see the sun come out. Everybody's hearts are merry. Mm-hmm. I gotta be. I gotta be honest with you. There's a reason why you do pastoral interviews in the summer. Because in the winter, it gets a little dry around here, doesn't it? So, but we thank God because His mercies are new every morning. Amen. So I'm super excited to be concluding the series that we've been in for the last excuse me, three weeks, um, called Christian Privilege. Uh, we started off with uh, sharing what it meant to actually uh, have Christian privilege. We defined Christian privilege. We also described a major hindrance to experiencing the Christian privilege, which we call a, ser- a sermon called Beware of Dogs and Their Dogmas. Uh, we sort of walked through that. The dogmas were the false teachings and the dogs were the false teachers. Um, we followed that up with a sermon called lose to gain. We're able to share with you that like Paul, like the Apostle Paul, it is our Christian privilege to count everything as loss, to count everything as loss in comparison to the knowledge of who Christ is, to know in Christ, because anything that we find our identity in other than Christ is a waste. We followed that up last week where Pastor Jerry shared with us a message called Found in Him, reminding us and informing some that our identity is in Christ and that it is his righteousness that we have, we have been given. We don't earn God's goodness. We cannot earn God's goodness. We cannot earn his righteousness, but we have been given a sort of righteousness that comes from God, an exchanged life that comes through our relationship with Christ. So this morning, we'll be finishing out this message, and we will be camping out mostly in chapter 3, of course, which we've been in for the last three weeks, but in verse 10. Now, in order to help us get some context, to see what the flow of the text is, we're going to be reading from verse 7 through 10. 
And so if you have a Bible, it's going to be on your screen online. We can see if you're watching or not. So get your Bible out and we'll be reading from verse 7 through 10. If you're there, say amen. Amen. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, which is derived from the law, but a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. If I were to put a title on this sermon, it would be called So That I May Know Him. I want to know him. Paul counted everything as loss. Why, Paul? Why would you count all of your accomplishments as loss? Because he compares them to knowing Jesus. He says, everything that I've earned that stands in the way that causes me to put confidence in it rather than in Christ is a loss. He he uses a sort of accountant term. He's using profit and loss, gain and loss. He's saying anything, anything, Paul, that causes me to trust in myself rather than in Christ is a waste. You see, the ultimate privilege is to know Christ. This is the ultimate Christian privilege, to know Christ. In fact, knowing Christ is so important that Scripture all throughout teaches us that our very salvation and all of eternity hangs in the balance on whether or not you know Christ. All of eternity, all of creation, everything that that God has ever made from Genesis to Revelation hangs in the balance on whether you and I know Christ. Our very salvation is based on knowledge of who Christ is. You've got to know someone in order to be able to trust in them. Our sanctification, that ongoing process whereby God continues to refine us to look more like Christ, to look less like our old sinful self, depends on knowing Christ. Finally, when we stand before the throne of God, it is not your degrees. It is not who you know in the human terms. It's if you know Christ. So if that's the question that we all have to wrestle with, if, if, if knowing Christ not only affects our trajectory, but our final destination, then before you leave here today, you best understand on whether or not you know Christ. Well, if that's the main question, there's got to be a penultimate question, a question that's connected to that question, which is, well, preacher, man, if you say everything hangs on the balance on whether or not I know Christ, then you've got to help me define what it means to know Christ. I'm glad you asked, and I will explain that. (laughs) What does it mean to know Christ? What does it mean to know anything? There are three ways in our society that I see that we use the word know. The first one is to know of something right? I know it exists. I am familiar with the existence of that. And Christian, if you are being honest, for some of us in this room, that's the limit of our knowledge of Christ. He exists. That's good. 
Because in order to put faith in Christ, you first of all have to know he exists. That's okay. Second way that we use the word know is to know about someone. I know information about you. I know facts about you. If you are honest, for many of us, that's the extent of our relationship. We know about Christ. We know information. We might even know a lot of information. If I could be candid and a little transparent for a second, one of my biggest fears is to know about God but not know God. It's to teach theological truths for all of this time and not know the God that I teach about. Don't believe me? There are countless seminary professors, seminary students who went in Christian, came out atheist. Walked into the seminary, a.k.a. cemetery, and their faith died. They can teach you about the mysteries of God. They understand it. It's an academic pursuit for them. My biggest fear, like Paul says, is that after I have preached the gospel to all people, I myself become disqualified. It's a fear. And if we're honest, for some of us in this room, you know of him, you know about him, but you don't really truly know him. There's a third way, though, that we use the word know. You know, when I was growing up back in the days, we would say about someone when we're asking if you're familiar with that person, we're like, do you know him or do you know him? No. <laughs> or do you know him? We, we make a distinction because we're saying there are levels to knowledge. Paul here uses an interesting Greek word. The word here is gnosko. You know this word. I promise you, you know this word. It's part of a word that we use all the time. Many words that we use all the time. Diagnosis, gnosis, diagnostic, prognostic, or even agnostic. You've heard all these terms before. They have to do with knowledge. When you say agnostic, the A before that means no knowledge. I have no knowledge of God. When you say prognosis, you're talking about future information, future knowledge. Diagnosis is through knowledge. Paul uses a word that's different. There's at least three other words in the Greek language that you could use to talk about knowledge that has to do with knowing of, knowing about. But he uses gnosko, a intimate knowledge, an experiential knowledge. A knowledge that is based on personal experience, not hearsay, not he said, she said, not information that a pastor's preaching, but a true encounter of the person that we are speaking of. Paul says, I don't want to know of him. That's good. I don't want to just know about him. That's good. I want to know him, know him. I want to personally know him. I want to have an intimate relationship with God. And interestingly enough, this word Gnosko is all we, what we also use for one of the most intimate relationships that a human can have, which is between a husband and a wife. But gnosko, when used of God, even transcends that relationship. It goes beyond that. It means that I know him. He knows me fully. Paul says, all of who we are, everything that this world is all about is if you know Christ. And that anything and everything that hinders you from knowing Christ, not knowing of him, not knowing about him, but knowing him intimately is lost. Paul says, I gnosko him. I know him intimately. I'm no longer pursuing self-centered happiness. 
I'm no longer pursuing the knowledge of just education, good stuff. I'm not longer pursuing the education, the, the knowledge of the world, good stuff. But I am pursuing the knowledge of the one and true God, the only thing worthy of knowing. Because the knowing of God affects your life now and your final destination. Christian, as you sit here, is that the way you know Christ? Is that your experience with Christ? Do you know him, know him? Paul explains it in two ways. He sort of unpacks what it means to know in a descriptive way. He uses a a sort of two aspects. He gives us two aspects, not two different truths, but two aspects of the same truth. Look with me, if you will, in the text. Paul says, so that I may know him. He says, the power of his resurrection And the partnership of his sufferings. If I was to sort of break this text into two places, that's how I would start. I would look at, well, Paul, what do you mean by the power of his resurrection? Because if knowing him is what all of life hangs on, and we've just defined it, then I also need you to help me describe it. I need to be able to put flesh to this. I need to be able to tease it out a little bit, Paul. What do you mean by knowing the power of his resurrection? You see, having been conformed to the death of Christ, having experienced spiritual death and spiritual life now, Paul in some way has already experienced the power of Christ's resurrection. He has experienced going from death to life. He has experienced that power and that partnership and wants to continue to experience that power and partnership. You see, one of the most interesting thing about Christians and what we believe is that we also almost always think that the gospel is this one-time event that we hear. That we have heard the gospel once, we've heard that Christ died for us, we've committed our lives to it, and that's it. We don't ever have to revisit that gospel. We've moved on to higher things, but the Bible keeps telling us that you cannot ever outgrow the gospel. That the gospel is what keeps you, what brings you into the kingdom and what keeps you into the kingdom. That the gospel is the truth that takes you from babe in Christ all the way to full maturity, all the way to you stand before the throne and you say the gospel again that it was because of Christ that I am here. You never outgrow the gospel. You never outgrow the truth that we are all sinners saved by grace. You never outgrow the fact that we have sinned against the holy God. You never outgrow the fact that that holy God, the only religion where God works his way down to save man, you never outgrow that truth. It's a fundamental truth that lasts for all eternity. Paul said, I've experienced that power. He uses a wonderful Greek word here. You've heard this word before. It's the Greek word dunamis. I promise you, you've heard it before. You ever heard the word dynamite? That's where we get it from. Dynamic. That's where we get it from. This word is so powerful that the only thing that could describe dynamite was this word. The explosive power of God. The explosive power that gives life. Let me show you something. Jesus goes to visit Lazarus. Lazarus has been dead for four days. In fact, Jesus speaks to Martha, Lazarus' sister, and says, where is he? He, She's like, "The Lord, Lord, he's dead. The Lord says, Let's call him out, open the gates, and let's, let's, let's he, she says, he, he will be stinking at this point. In, in fact, in the, in the old King James, it says, my Lord, he stinketh. You ever want to insult someone and say, you stinketh? 
There's a sort of, there's a a level to that. Like, I don't only stink, I stink F. (laughs) Worms have already set in. Rigor mortis has set in. Flesh has started to fall away. Bones have started to decay. Decomposition is happening. Jesus says, open it. She says, well, I know, Lord, that one day he will be resurrected. Jesus said, you don't understand. I am the resurrection. Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. Instantly, worms go. Sinews start to come back together. Flesh comes back together. Breath breathes back into his lung. He comes out. Jesus says, this is power. This is the power that Paul is talking about. This is resurrection power, life-giving power, life-altering power. Christian, do you feel that power? Do you know that that power resides in you? Have you forgotten who saved you? I know from memory the power of God that brought me from death to life. But if I can be honest, life happens and that memory is fading and sometimes fades. And for some of us, that might have not been your experience. Paul says, what I want for every Christian, what I want for everyone who calls on Christ is to know that power. I don't know if this is true or not, but one preacher used this sanctified imagination, and I'll follow in that. He said there's a reason why Jesus says Lazarus come out and not just say come out. I don't think you understood what just happened there. In Jesus is resurrection power. He calls Lazarus by name. Let me paint the picture. Jesus is in an area with many tombs. You got it. Many people who have died. He speaks specifically to Lazarus. What do you think will happen if the Lord said, come out? Friday the 13th don't have anything on that. <laughs> and and, and it's, it's fun to think of because this is the same God that spoke the universe to existence. When we think of dunamis power, this sort of dynamite power, if you will, this explosive power, this word has to do with, with potentiality. Any science nerds in here, you remember potential and kinetic energy? You remember that? I'm on the own, okay, this is a nerd section. We, we're together. <laughs> in science, they teach you about potential and kinetic energy. Kinetic energy is energy in motion, right? Moving energy, a car's moving. Potential energy, though, is what leads to kinetic energy. Think of it this way. A bow and arrow stretch as far as it can go. You feel the tension. And when you let that thing go, you don't know how far it can go. There's infinite possibilities of how far that thing can go. Potential energy, though, is dependent on the power and the energy of the person pulling it. Who's got more power than God? Imagine, if you will, God's eternal bow being stretched. You don't know what that thing can do. Paul says, that's the power. The power that can wake me from the dead, I haven't even scratched the surface of God's power. A power that spins the universe into existence and keeps it going. You know, scientists talk about the Big Bang, which is still a theory, y'all. 
a theory. It's actually not truth. Did you know that? It's not true. It's just a theory, a tr- uh, 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 an important theory, a theory that most people hold on to. But I remember reading one author that says, because there's a big bang doesn't mean there wasn't a God to cause the bang. You see, nothing comes from nothing. Nothing ever does. You want me to believe that this vast universe came from nothing? It didn't. It came from God. That same explosive power that created the universe, blow your mind, resides in you if you are a Christian. Do you know God that way? Paul says in Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. Paul knew that dunamis power. Paul knew that power, that same power that said, let there be light and there was light. That same power that created all of creation. God spoke it into existence. That same power is what Paul experienced, had his conversion. If you want to see how he was converted, look at Acts. Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 20. You can look at all those and you will see how this Paul, this man who was murdering Christians, became a person who was a Christian. That takes power. A man who spent all of his life accumulating degrees because he thought that was what made him righteous turns to say, I count all that as loss. You don't understand. He's been studying since he was probably 13, 14 years old. He's got multiple PhDs. He spent his whole life. I know they probably didn't have student loans then, but if he did now, he would probably have at least $3 million of student loans. (laughs) Having to call Navian every weekend. It's me, Paul. I need a payment plan. (laughs) All his life has been spent on accumulating knowledge of the world, knowledge of himself, until he encountered the dunamis power of God and knocked him literally off his horse. And he was never the same. Paul says, I felt that power. I want to keep feeling that power daily. And he says that I may know him. Christian, this is your privilege in Christ. This is your ultimate Christian privilege, to know the God who created you, to know the lover and the maker of your soul. Do you know him? Paul prays this for you and I, for all Christians. In Ephesians 1.19, he says it this way, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power. For all of us who believe this, look how he describes it, the same mighty power that raised Jesus is what I want you to experience. Paul prays that for us, and that is my prayer for all of us, including the preachers, that we would know the power of him. You see, when you know God's power, humility is not hard because you understand, you're humbled by the potentiality of God's power, that that same power that rocked the whole nation, rocked the world, that turned the world upside down, that same power lives in you. Brother, that gives you a level of humility. Brings us to our second point. Paul says, I want to know the power of his resurrection. He wants to know that resurrection power. He wants to know that power that spins the universe into existence, that power that puts out all the Milky Ways, all the expansive galaxies. That's God's power. He wants to know that power in his life daily. But 
But then he says, I also want to know the partnership of his suffering. There's many ways we can go with this one. Paul uses a Greek word here, koinonia. It's the same word that's used to describe the Christian community throughout all of the New Testament. It simply means a sharing in common. Uh, it, it is a common union, communion. It is a common union. It is a sharing of life. You see this displayed in Acts chapter 4 where people in the church will sell property and houses and all that they have just so people who are in the church can eat. You see that when people will give up themselves freely because the love that they shared was so much that they said, mine, it was mine is yours and was yours is mine. They shared life. Paul says, I have that type of community, that type of union with Christ. I am sharing with Christ. His life is, you see that in Galatians where we just read that my life is no longer my own. It belongs to Christ. He now lives in me. There is a, a, a symbiotic relationship. There is an exchange. His, his, his righteousness for my sin. His peace for my chaos. His, his knowing, his knowledge for my fickle knowledge. Paul says, I, I have koinonia with God. I have a sharing of life. It is a sharing of activities and privileges, an intimate association with someone. It is a sharing of commonality, solidarity. It is a sharing of responsibilities in a household, the household of God. Paul says, I have this coin in here. I have a, a united conviction. I have a united responsibility. I have a united privilege to know Christ. I share in his truth. I share his life. He says, though, I share in his suffering. The, 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 the American church is yet to experience true persecution. Christ says, they hated me, they will hate you. And uniting with Christ, you carry on that. Here's what I want to clearly say. For many of us, the sufferings we go through, not all, but most of it is because of sin. My sin or the sin of others. Their sin affects me or my sin affects them or my sin affects myself. We have not stepped into the realm of experiencing sin because of righteousness, or, or sorry, experiencing suffering because of being righteous. Not say that you haven't. Some of us may have experienced that, what it looks like to preach the gospel and be ostracized. Mind you, Paul is writing from prison for the sake of the gospel. Perhaps he knows one or two things about suffering for the sake of Christ. What Paul is intending to show here, though, is not woe is me, I'm suffering for the sake of Christ. But I have a union with Christ that even the earthly suffering doesn't pale. It pales in comparison to the knowledge of Christ. Is that how you look at suffering? Do you see suffering as refining us and making us to look more like Christ? Or do you see suffering as an inconvenience? Paul says, I see it. I have a partnership. Now he goes deeper to say that my suffering is Christ's suffering. We have a Lord who is sympathetic to us. I make a distinction between empathetic and sympathetic. Empathetic is good. Literally, empathetic means to be able to enter into it, to sort of be able to put myself in your own shoes and say, oh, I can see what that might feel like. Sympathy, though, has a very root word. The S-Y-M there has to do with synonymous or same or, 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 or being with someone. It has to do with actually, I feel your pain. 
I don't only know of your pain or, or know about your pain or even try to empathize and put myself in your position. No, he says the relationship I have with Christ, he feels my pain. If I could use human terms to describe an unhuman God or, or a holy God, your heart breaks, his breaks more. You cry, he cries more. He's God. He's perfect. His senses, his senses are more sensitive than ours. He says that the union that I have with Christ is such a unique union that he feels my pain. He says this later on in chapter 4 where he speaks about I can do all things through Christ Jesus. Why? Because he is there strengthening me. Not giving me strength. That's a different translation. He doesn't just give you strength. He is there actually strengthening you. The picture there is that Christ is the one holding you up to endure the pains of life. Christian, don't ever forget that in your suffering, however it is, even because of sin, that Christ is with you. It is our Christian privilege to know that God is with us. Your pain, your suffering, all of the heartache that you feel, God feels that. God knows that. And because he knows that, because he has the same sufferings, the Greek word there is pathos. You know that word because we get pathy from that. Sympathy or antipathy or sociopathy or psychopathy. It means passion. He has the same passions as you. He has the same desires as you. His, your life, his pain is your pain. Your pain is his pain. There is a sympathetic relationship. He is connected to you. He carries those things. And because he does, he is the only one that is uniquely gifted to be able to comfort us truly. The Bible says it this way. In Hebrews, <coughs> excuse me, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us, with us in our weakness. When it speaks of weakness here, it just speaks of the natural human condition. Because in comparison to God, we are weak. We are frail. Life happens. But we have one who in every respect was tempted as we are, yet without sin. I love that. Because our partnership with Christ means that he not only empathizes, but he sympathizes. And because he does, he knows us intimately. He knows the exquisiteness of our pain. He knows the pain that we feel in a grave way. He's the only one that can really give us comfort. Hebrews 2.18 says it this way. Because Christ, he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is then able to help those who are being tempted. That word tempted here could mean test, could mean trial, could mean tribulations. Whatever you are going through, we have a God who can relate. We have a God who knows that. I love that because in Christ we have the union of God and man. Why that is important is because we don't have a God that's so transcendent and beyond us that he can't, we can't relate to him, he can't relate to us. We also don't have, a, we also don't have a, a, a God who is just only man and we might as well be equals and you feel the same, you, you have the same struggles I have, but he's God. He's God, man. He fully can relate, but he can also fix what he's relating to. Having been raised from spiritual death, Paul knows the power of his resurrection. He knows the partnership of his sufferings. He has this union with Christ that informs everything he does. You see, the purpose of Paul, the pride of Paul's life was to know Christ. Because if truly all of life depends on knowing Christ... That's the one question that we all have to wrestle with. 
That is the one question that we all have to deal with. So I have a couple questions for you. Is the goal of your life to know Christ? Do you long to know him intentionally? Is there an intentionality about your knowing of Christ? Do you really plan to know him? You know, they used to say that if you aim for nothing, you'll hit it all the time. Do you aim? Is that the goal of life, to know Christ? Do you long to know him intensely, deeply? Or is the superficial relationship of knowing of him or about him good enough for you? Thirdly, do you long to know him increasingly? Are you ever concerned about going deeper into the truth of God? Or are you good with the knowledge that you have? Have you capped your knowledge? So what now? Well, the reality is this. Your answer to these questions will determine not only life now, but life in the hereafter. All of eternity hangs in the balance. As I thought through what I may have for action steps, I personally was wrestling with my knowing of Christ. How do I know him? I know I've gone beyond knowing of him. Bless God for that. I'm not only aware of him, but I've gone to knowing about him. Bless God for that. And I can remember knowing him, knowing him deeply. But I also know that if I'm honest, the Christian walk, I wish it was better, but the Christian walk is ebbs and flows. Amen? Sometimes you're hot, on fire for Jesus, so much so, we've got to put some fire retardant material around you. And other times you are colder than the coldest winter in Michigan, which apparently is cold. And I wish I could say that it's been an upward trajectory to heaven. That I haven't had to wrestle with things through life. That my humanity hasn't reared its ugly head from time to time. That that weakness that we share, that union we have as human beings who struggle with things. So I ask myself, if knowing Christ is the most important thing, if knowing Christ is what is called the sunum bonum, the greatest good, then I have to define that, describe that, but also be determined to pursue that. But then a still voice came to me. Not saying that I heard from God, but probably my inner thoughts, right? There I go trying to earn God's grace again. There I go trying to work into the knowledge of God. Because the knowledge that Paul talks about is not achieved through academics. I know people who don't know greatest theology, but they are sincerely on fire for God. And they want to know better and they're growing every day. They're in their word. And they can't tell you all these fancy Greek words that they made us pay for in seminary. But they know Christ and they know him, know him. And if I be honest, sometimes they're more on fire for God than I am as a preacher. So then I said, if knowing God is important... And it is the most important thing, and I cannot achieve this by human effort, then what is my option? Here are your action steps because these are my action steps. Pray and earnestly seek to know. Pray that he would reveal himself to you. It's interesting that when we talk about salvation, we say, oh, I found Christ. He wasn't lost. We're the lost one. Coincidentally, he found us. 
pray earnestly to know the power of Christ's resurrection. And as you get to know that, rest in that. Rest in that power. That power that created the universe is available to you as a Christian. This is our ultimate privilege that we may know him, the power of his resurrection. And pray that you would know partnership in your sufferings. Remember your partnership with Christ and in Christ, even in the midst of suffering. Remember that. Be mindful of that, that you don't have a God that's distant for you. You don't have a deistic God that just spinned the universe into existence like a clockwork and worked away. But you have a God that is intimately interested in your life. He's the only one that can truly sympathize and soothe us in the midst of our trials. Pray to know him. You can't work at it. You can't earn it. The knowledge of God is only given by God. You cannot earn that knowledge. Maybe you are here and you are a Christian. And I hope you are. And you say, I don't know that power. I don't know that partnership. Pray that he would reveal that. Have conversation with other people who will be honest with you about their walk in Christ because we have a shared union in Christ. We're united to Christ and then we're united to each other because of Christ, which coincidentally means, my brother, we're not related, are we, biological? But you're closer to me than my family who's not a Christian. Did you know that? That we share something that transcends all of eternity and that perhaps if they don't know Christ and they end up somewhere else, you and I will be sharing in the kingdom forever. We'd be sitting face to face talking about this moment. You remember when you told me on earth? <laughs> and at that point, I'd be like, hey, listen, man, I'm talking to Jesus. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> I think if there was ever a heart desire for me, it's to preach about heaven. I feel like we missed that. Note to the teaching team, we might have to have that conversation. But the joy of heaven, I don't think we talk about that that much. Did you get happy when I just talked about it? Because I got excited saying, I'm going to see you again. You're going to be perfect. Like my shape up missing a little bit is going to be perfect. <laughs> I mean, heaven with God, glorified body, no sin between us. You don't have to wonder what I'm thinking because we're united in Christ. I look forward to that day. And that's your privilege as a Christian that you would finally get before God and be able to rest. If my biggest fear is to preach about Jesus and not really know him, then my greatest joy is to finally be before my heavenly father to experience the greatest love ever. You know, as a masculine man, it, it, we, let's be honest, I want to experience what it's like for my heavenly father to wrap his arms around me and tell me I don't have to be strong because he's strong for me. Jesus was no wimp. He was a man's man, but he was also a caring man. Somewhere in our society, we have got it twisted that a man has to be always strong, always on point, always angry, always frustrated, always the man. Part of our manhood is also sincerity. There's a tenderness to being a man that we've lost in our society where we care, a reserved power that for most of our wives, they're like, I wish I could get some of that. 
I long. Biggest fear is to not, is to not know him and preach him. Biggest joy is to finally rest in his arms. To know him fully because he knows me fully and still loves me. If you're not a Christian though, that currently right now is not your privilege. You will be running this race of life for all eternity. You will know no rest because there's no rest promise for those who don't know Christ because he himself is our rest. You walk out of this room without answering that question. To be honest with you, you may answer that question in the negative and say, I don't know him, I don't want to know him. That's your prerogative. But to walk out and not even entertain that question is intellectually dishonest. Even for us who know him, we want to know him, know him deeply, intimately as the power that keeps resurrecting us and the partnership that keeps being with us even in the midst of our pain. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your grace, for your word, for your truth. Those of us who are called by your name, those of us who are Christian, those of us who are called by Christ's name, we pray, Lord, that we would know you deeply, intimately, and fully. That the longing of our hearts would be to be known by you and to know you. That that would be the driving force in our relationships, in our life groups, in our Bible study, in our preaching, in our teaching, in all that we do, in our singing, in our guitar playing, in our worshiping, in our drumming, in our volunteering, in coffee, and whatever else we do in this church, that it would be just so that we can know you and we can cause other people to know you. And if you are here, you don't know Christ, if I may be presumptuous as to lead you in this prayer, if you would pray, Lord, I don't know you. And if what the preacher is saying is true, that all of eternity hangs in the balance on whether or not I know you, please reveal yourself to me. And friend, if you pray that prayer, we want to connect with you and pray with you. And it is our heart desire that you would know him. Because we don't have it all figured out because we are struggling daily to know him. But the beauty is this. We don't have to work at knowing him. He gives himself freely. So, Father, we thank you for this moment. And all who desire to know God says, amen. Hey, thanks so much for listening. If you want to find out more information about Life Church Canton or other churches in the Life Church Network, text I'm New to 734 349 3475 or fill out the form linked in the show notes below and someone from the church will reach out to you with more information. If you came to Life Church Canton for the first time this past weekend, we would love to know about it. We believe that life isn't meant to be lived in isolation, but we want to connect with you and learn to live like Jesus in community together. If you want to email the show, you can do that at podcast at lifechurchcanton.org. You can subscribe to this show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're enjoying it, please share it with a friend and leave us a review. Once again, my name is Sam Parham, and you've been listening to the Life Church Canton podcast. Have a great week, everybody.